This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we work to end the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real-life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. Uh, this episode is going up a little extra early on Patreon because I am going on an overnight hike. I'm doing it. I am hitting the trail and I am camping out in the wilderness and I'm just going to do the dang thing. I mean, adventure awaits. So <laughs> I'm just, I'm pulling the plug and I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm very, very excited. I leave in the morning and I'll be back in a couple days. So if you want to follow along, I will be posting to Instagram and TikTok, perhaps, if I have internet. I have my pack. Uh, I want to say thank you to my friend Kathy, who I know listens to the show, uh, for letting me borrow some of her gear so that I could do this and not splurge on a bunch of stuff that I don't even know if I'm going to like it, you guys. I'm probably going to like it, though, right? (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. But thank you to Kathy for letting me borrow some gear. I'm really just, I have a lot of dopamine like racing through me right now, but also a little bit of anxiety. It was raining earlier. I think the rain is gone, but that doesn't mean the mud is gone. I don't know. You know, when I get back next week, you will hear the update in the housekeeping. So um, you're just going to have to wait (laughs) or follow along on Instagram, I guess. I want to say thank you to our newest Patreon member, Paul Ford, and um, let you guys know that the MLM conference videos are up. Thank you to Michelle and Mallory. They were the ones that went ahead and edited everything and got that all up in record time uh, so that you guys can watch that. I will throw the links to those videos in the show notes as well if you are interested in watching those. They're pretty fun. Um, Definitely check out the social media because it worked darn hard. (laughs) I would really appreciate the support. This episode is with Emily Lynn Paulson, the author of the book that's coming out in May called Hey Hun. We talk about a couple heavy topics, including how MLM is dripping in white supremacy and sort of approach that from, I promise, a not scary angle. So do not feel the tension. Just it's okay. We're okay. It's a great conversation, I promise. And we also talk about publishing a book and how to pre-order Hey Hun before it comes out. So I'm going to get to packing and make sure that I have everything ready to go. And you will hear from me next week. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. We have a super special guest today. Hey Hun, it's Emily Paulson. How are you? Hi, Roberta. Glad to be back. I am so excited to have you here. You you briefly sort of, I don't know if you mentioned it when you were on last year that you were working on this, but 
you have a book coming out in a couple months. And um, so you're here to talk about it. I am so excited. You sent me an advanced PDF version of it. I yeah. had so much fun reading it and, and making all these notes. And oh my gosh, like I just, I just really, really enjoyed the book so much. I, I, I can't say enough good stuff about it. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So let's get into it. If you don't know who Emily Lynn Paulson is, she was on the show last year. She talked about her journey with sobriety and through this MLM that she was in. And that's sort of what this book is about as well. And I'm, I'm just so excited. So we're going to talk about your book. You know, if you want more info, go back and listen to her episode and then and then come here. Let's get into it. What inspired you to even write this book in the first place? You know, honestly, it was having written a book previously and knowing how cathartic it was for me personally was, was one thing. And I also saw how that experience, it helped me, it helped other people. And I wanted to do the same with this. I felt like I had been complicit in a lot of things that I realized were wrong. Um, even though, you know, that wasn't my intent at the beginning, but once I realized it was wrong, uh, it was really my way of kind of undoing what I had done. So it's more of a, it's like a, an apology and a glimpse on what goes on, really kind of a cautionary tale for other people who think all this girl boss stuff and being at the top of an MLM is all just glitz and glamour and on the up and up. I loved it. Uh, and and it's so true. You know, I've talked to so many people who were in positions similar to yours, who were at the top, who did a lot of things that they didn't understand that they regret now, and they've made amends. It's it's just such a relatable story. Like I just, I, the whole time I'm like nodding my head, reading this going, yes, yes, this is exactly, yes, absolutely. 100%. I can corroborate this. This happened to me too. I love your, your pyramid <laughs> grows throughout the book and sort of explains because when I make content, I try to make it educational and fun and not scary because I have a lot of anxiety and ADHD. And like, if I think something's going to be scary, like I'm not even going to go there. I don't like confrontation and things like that. So I avoid it. And I think a lot of times people, when they get into the anti-MLM space, they don't want to be a part of it because like the word anti they don't understand that there is compassion and that, that there is nuance within this space to let them know that we're not anti-people, we're anti the structure. And so I really loved how you made that non-threatening, how this just this small expansion and you just sort of explained it in a way where somebody who had never been in that position could go, oh my gosh, like I, I get it. It's just you put us in this perspective in such a beautiful way that I think it's relatable even for the smallest fish. Yeah. That's what, that was my hope anyway, that people who had no idea what MLMs were could read it and people who were in them and still loved them could read it and understand and, you know, everything in between. Uh, I made sure to really throw myself fully under the bus to say like, these were the things that I did. I took part in, maybe you did too, but I'm not trying to chastise you or tell you that you're bad. Um, it's all the things that you are led to believe are okay in this system. And again, it's the system that's on trial here. It's not any one person. And that's another reason why I use 
you know, composite characters in the book and why I do illustrate that pyramid uh, with actual people that you can see. And again, they're not real people, but so you can understand how these things grow and how they crumble so easily. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand because when they're in their MLM, you know, they, they don't realize that there's hundreds upon hundreds of MLMs and hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people doing the exact same thing. They are in other avenues, uh, right. but it's very singular to them. Like, well, I'm just, I'm just asking five people. It's not that big of a deal, but we don't see sort of that like exponential aspect where you mm-hmm. pull it back. And I think that I just, I loved the pyramid so much because it's just, there's a lot of people that are visual and sometimes you just don't, it just doesn't click until there's that one little thing. I get emails all the time for people going, I love your show. And I never saw myself in any single episode until, and then everything clicked. And I think sometimes like that, I just, I love, I just loved it. I just thought that's probably one of my favorite, (laughs) one of my favorite things in the book is just how innocent and unsuspecting that pyramid is and what it becomes. It's just, it's a beautiful illustration. That's really intentional because I know, I can't say that I know anyone who has gotten into an MLM for any malintent, right? Everyone believes the dream, or even if it's a little dream, like, Hey, you're going to get a discount on your products. Like, I don't care how small it is or how big it is you wouldn't pay money to somebody or something if you didn't think you were getting something out of it or helping someone or doing something positive. So nobody joins thinking, Hey, I'm going to do this because, you know, in five years, I want to make sure that hundreds and hundreds of people lose money. Uh, You know, I want to be complicit in gaslighting lots of people and telling them it was their fault. I nobody says that. And so to take that away and, and show all these experiences where, you know, Hey, I exploited my, you know, cancer journey to sell shit, like to be really honest about, and here's why I did it so that it's not just a, Oh, well, I wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't do that. It's like, it's all coming from the same place. It's all coming from this place of we share our vulnerabilities and we talk about everything. And we connect on this weird parasocial level (laughs) that uh, maybe isn't healthy. And this is why we do things we're not proud of. Absolutely. The parasocial aspect, I think is really important from someone who is sort of, you know, you are in this space, you have a ton of followers on Instagram. Do you experience that this parasocial relationship with your followers? Sometimes I've been, I think because of being in an MLM, I'm very careful to not put myself in a position where I'm like the guru or I'm the whatever, like fangirling makes me really uncomfortable. I felt so uncomfortable in the MLM with that fangirling, but at the same time, it also, it it built upon itself. It was like, wow, I must be doing something right. If all these people want to be doing the same thing, all these people want to take a picture with me. And then I'd have my friends who knew me in real life who were like, okay, this is so weird. They kind of bring me down to earth a little bit. Like, you know how weird this is, right? And I'm like, yeah, but, but it's still, it felt good. It feeds that ego and, and makes you think that what you're doing is, is okay. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up. I, I think I first started to notice that parasocial relationship while I was in MLM as a leader where people are counting on me like, oh, are you going to do your live tonight? I'm really looking forward to it. And it was that sort of stuff. And I was already in my life sort of like 
feeling neglect and people like quote unquote needing me, even though my family mm-hmm. did need me, but you know, you're in a different mindset at that point and having that and feeding that and experiencing that while in a high demand situation and how it changed me. Like I feel the same way about it now. Like it, it is uncomfortable to me, the fangirling and it's flattering, but at the same time, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just a normal person. Please don't put me on any kind of pedestal. I guarantee you I'm going to <laughs> disappoint you at probably today. So like it right. is, it's a very interesting thing. And um, it, I don't think it's something that comes up a lot. And so when it does come up, I like to, I like to ask what your experiences are on it. Because I think most people feel the same way that it's like, it's cool. I I get people that are like, oh my God, I feel like we're best friends because you come with me on all my runs. And I was like, oh yeah, I have no idea who you are. I'm so flattered. I think it's really cool. But also at the same time, I'm also incredibly humbled by it. And I'm like, that's neat and also weird. Thank you. So it feels nice to know that you experience the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And I think it comes with the territory when, you know, I've written, again, this is my second book. So like the first one I wrote, I went very deep into my life and my history. And there was a lot of traumatic things in there. So, you know, you read a book that gives details of someone's life. And of course you feel that, that that's the point. Like, oh, I feel less alone. I feel this connection. And for me, that's been so important of separating out where like where I end and where someone else begins and good and bad, because what someone takes from my story or takes from my opinion or takes from my advice online, I'm very careful to make sure it's like that is about them and what they take from it, good or bad. Uh, Someone doesn't like what I'm sharing. Like, again, that has very little to do with me as long as I'm not conducting myself in a way that is somehow dangerous, you know, whatever, which I think the MLM that's what what it really highlights. And it's all, it's all set up that way. You know, the MLM is all set up to have these hierarchies, this very like royalty type structure. Even like you said, when I was a leader, like that idea of leader is loaded, right? Like I'm, who's your leader? I'm the leader. Like, where does that come from? Right. And that that's even cringy in itself. When you look back on it, it's automatically putting people in, in silos and in tears so that you like literal tears, like crying and in, you know, tears, like sections where you've got to reach the next pinnacle, got to reach the next thing. And when they do that, there's never an end to what you can be reaching for. There's always a next rung. So it's done all intentionally to make you jealous of the people or envious of the people on top, you know, to make you assume the people below you, beneath you, not doing as well, again, are beneath you, are not working as hard. So there's a hierarchy that's just built in. The hierarchical structure, it's even built into sort of the parasocial relationship. Yeah, like even using the word leader, right? Like I use that word and I remember looking back and like using it and being like, oh, well, it's for leaders, like with an attitude, like, well, you wouldn't understand because you're like, you don't have anybody because you're like not a leader yet. And Mm -hmm. I remember the very separate but equal aspect of MLM. And that always bothered me while I was in always. Well, you can come to this, but like you didn't earn it. So like you don't get Mm -hmm. to do the extra stuff. You can just sort of watch and be jealous. It's really interesting how giving language to things, how you see this. And I I think it's just really interestingly highlighted in your book. I don't know. I just, 
it's like we we have Ponzi-nomics, which is a really great like history of MLM. And it's very like, you know, scholarly and like cut and dry and factual. But then we have almost the juxtaposition is your book, but it, in the same framework of being like, this is what the truth is, but it's, it's the opposite. It has emotion and it has relatability and it has, I, I just, you can put yourself in your shoes. Even if, like I said, even if you're a small fish, because when you join an MLM, even if you're only joining, like you said, for a discount or for like friends or whatever, there's still you can't deny it. It's still a tiny spark. They put it in you. And whether or not you fan that flame and like create a fire from that spark is fine. But there's also in an MLM, we also are like given carte blanche to just dream as wildly as possible. Like, oh, that's good. But what else? More, more, more. Mm -hmm. So even that tiny little spark, even if you are ever just a small fish and you never go anymore, there's still that dream of that. What if, what if, I made a video that went viral and a bunch of people joined my team and I became a leader and I was a leader and I got to go to these things. Like there's still, even if it's not a driving force, like there's still that little bit of daydream when you're sitting there hoping for a sale where you're like, what if I was that? And so that even like fuels you and keeps you there. Even if you're not that person, even if you're just that small fish, you felt that feeling. And so it's very easy to slide into your shoes and to relate to your story. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet, and they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. 
They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash MLM for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash M-L-M to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash M-L-M. Right. And if you are someone who you're like, oh, I just buy stuff from Pampered Chef or whatever. Cool. Like I don't, I, I, you know, none of this would relate to me or whatever. Once you are in the system in any fashion, I know that I reached out to my customers and bugged the crap out of them to join. Hey, you know, you could get a bigger discount. Hey, this month we've got the special. Hey, this month, hey, like you are in and you are going to be spammed. Like it doesn't matter. And so that the expectation that the person you join, the person you buy from or whatever, the person you get the discount from, you are now a cog in their wheel. You are on their list. You are in their crosshairs and you are going to be marketed to. And when you are in that position where you are the leader, you assume because you've been indoctrinated this way that everybody must want to be where you are. Like, why wouldn't everyone want to do this? How could someone buy something from you and not want to get a bigger discount? How could someone join and not want to build a team? How could someone build a team and not want to, like, there's never an end to what you think people want to do. So even if you are that person, you're like, Hey, I just joined for the discount and you know, it's kind of fun or whatever. You're still perpetuating that whether you want to or not. Like, I think that's important to realize. That even the tiniest cog is still a cog that's churning Mm -hmm. along and perpetuating the bigger machine. It's true. Even when you're just like, I'm just going to buy a $20 lipstick to support my sister. Or I'm just going to like try this workout for like a month to support my friend. Like, yeah, it causes a lot of harm. And I don't think people see that. And then when you try to explain it, it's so big and yet so nuanced at the same time. It's really hard to explain it. Because mm-hmm. of and course you want to support your friend. I want you to support your friends. Of course. But that's not the problem. The problem is what you're doing is not support. Buying the DVD, you know, how much money of that is really going to your friend and what's she doing with it? And is that keeping her more trapped in this system? Who else is the money going to? Mostly upline, mostly to the company. You know, so if you think, oh, I really want to help my friend, the best thing you can do is give her 20 bucks. Granted, she may buy something from the company, but like whatever she does with it, she does with it or give someone a gas gift card or a gift card for a meal or something, do something that actually helps because buying something from their commercial cult is going to keep them more trapped in it, whether you think it's detrimental or not. It's the illusion of help. It really is. It really is the illusion of help. It's, it's really, it's putting a bandaid on like a, a gaping wound and being like, I hope this helps. 
It's like, it doesn't, yeah. it, it, yeah. it adds another hole in that boat that's already sinking. You're like, I just, I just got to shovel the water out faster. That's all. I just got to keep, I'm just not doing it good enough. Um, and it yeah. keeps people trapped a lot longer. So let's talk about the process of writing this book, this book called Hey Hun. Uh, what was the, your favorite process of writing this book? Probably picking out the chapters and the chapter names. So like figuring out there was no end to what I could talk about. There was, there was no end, but I had to like categorize it. I had to put it in sections. I had to categorize it. That was probably my favorite part was outlining it, figuring out how it would go. Because from there, once I really started in each section and talking about putting it in chronological order, um, then I could really get into each chapter and it would just take me other places like, Hey, here's, you know, this is what happened during COVID. And Oh, by the way, here's all of the information that the FTC put out during, during COVID. And Oh, by the way, here's all this PPP loan fraud. And by the way, by the way, by the way, hundred thousand words later doing that, I think really helped me see where the book was going to go. So that was my favorite part of the thing. It, everything is just so intentional and so brilliant and so funny. And I think anybody who has been in the MLM like gets all of the little inside jokes and all of the little tongue in cheek, all the little Easter eggs. They were great, all of them. And anybody who's not in might miss them, but uh it's it's not so obvious that that if you don't know that you but it's it's just fun. I just I love them. <laughs> well, and I think everybody's seen the the, you know, I try to explain it in terms of, you know, like that time of the month. Well, I mean, everyone knows what that phrase means, but MLMs at the end of the month numbers in. And then when you start to think as a consumer, oh, like that's why Shelly reaches out to me asking me if I need to place a bulk order or if I need this eye cream or whatever at the end of the month. Oh, that's why I see all these sales at the end of the month. Oh. And so you can kind of then relate it back to as even as a consumer, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. All these titles and trips and everything at the end of the month, like you've got that deadline, that finish line. The the very predictable behavior of how to rope people into either buying from you or your downline purchasing things to hit numbers. And it was a very predictable Three spots thing. left. That's always my favorite one. I've oh, only yeah. got a few spots left. It's like, does anybody actually believe that? One time it was really funny. Like I saw a thread and it said something like, I only have three spots left for the next three people that comment, you know, and like the fourth person commented and said, ah, oh, just missed it. And, and the hun was like, no, I can make room. It's fine. <laughs> like sort of I'll like make room. I'll never say no. <laughs> God. And it was very funny. Like it was very obvious that the fourth person was just teasing. But the, yeah. the, again, the behavior is so robotic and so predictable that they knew exactly what was going to happen when they said that. Totally. Guilty. Um, right. What was <laughs> the hardest aspect of writing this book? So honestly, the hardest thing I think for me was talking about all of the, you know, white supremacy, racism, all of that stuff, because a, I'm a white chick. And you know, I dress, I dress that in the book, obviously why, like I'm a white person talking about this but I couldn't ignore it. You know, I was grateful for my publisher for pushing me to kind of find the story in the story, because there's a lot more there that I think people don't realize. Like you can look, there's these reward trips and see that everybody's white and you can kind of make inferences from that. But why is it like that? And why is that harmful? And why do structures like this harm people of color? And also why are they not accessible to people of color? 
it was just, it was important to talk about, but that was the hardest part for me because I had to do a lot of research and read some things that were uncomfortable for me to know that I was, again, I was complicit in all of this stuff and, and still am like, you know, white supremacy is the sea we're all swimming in. It's not like any of us can opt out of it. So how do we make things more equitable and fair and, and all of that? And, you know, I truly believe after doing that research and so much research on that and MLMs that there is truly no way for MLMs to be socioeconomically, racially equitable in any way. No, it's all intentional. It's everything Mm -hmm. is intentional. I think when you start digging and you start looking at things and you're like, oh, wow. And I think it is really important to have the difficult conversations. And, you know, certain types of white supremacy have come up in conversations when we've had uh, different guests on the show and talking about different different racial issues within MLMs. Just off the top of my head, I can think about just shade ranges in makeup companies Mm -hmm. not being varied to really (laughs) any sort of people of color. Like, oh, you're tanner than tan. Sorry. Yeah. That's all. Or hair products. Hair Hair products products as well. Yeah. For ethnic hair. It's, it's all for, you know, white chick hair. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people will, when, when they hear like white supremacy or they hear the term race or racism, they immediately go to the the most extreme. No one is doing that. Well, it's okay. Like microaggressions are real Mm -hmm. and they're just little, they're like compliment sandwiches. But they're racially driven and it's little things like that. And it's these little microaggressions within MLM that we have to talk about that come up and that we unpack and that we're guilty of, especially as white people. Absolutely. We're raised in it. There are so many things that I've had to unpack and address and having those conversations and bringing it up because I'm the I'm the curse breaker. I'm like, you know, that's like racist, right? And yeah. <laughs> I don't get invited to a lot of things. Um, <laughs> it's wild to have to be that and to see it in the MLM and to be able to have a platform like writing a book like yours or having a podcast like this to be able to start talking about those things in a way that's, again, not scary because mm-hmm. they're topics that have to be talked about. They need to be addressed. They need to be pointed out. But again, like we have to do it in a way that we can't scare away the demographic, the people right. that actually need to hear it. Because we can't just keep preaching to the choir. People that yeah. are listening going, Roberta, we know this. It's the yeah. other people that aren't listening that we're, we need to create the education here that the listeners and the readers can take it with them. And when they see it, they can say, well, actually that's a microaggression. And and this is how, and this is how you can say that instead where it's not offensive to people. Mm -hmm. And that's again, like if you're talking about the same stuff, like that's when you're siloed, that's when you're not, you know, you're not reaching out to again, other people who have been involved in this and listening to other stories. And ultimately I think for anybody, when you hear something, read something that makes you go, Ooh, like makes you get defensive immediately. That's when you ask yourself why. So even when I made the announcement for my book, I put the publisher's marketplace announcement and I had the title in the book, which has supremacy in it. Instead of anyone going to a dictionary and opening it and seeing what supremacy actually means, which then you can't deny it because again, all the people at the top are women who are white or the CEOs who are white or men, whatever, like, hello. But if that makes you feel, ooh, ick, like why ask yourself why that makes you feel so gross or when you're reading like why why do i immediately get defensive about this ask yourself why and the ne- you know the most negative things i've heard about the book are from people who probably will never read it because they're entrenched 
or people who immediately see something and they're like, well, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. It's like, okay, maybe you didn't, but you know, this is my experience and something that I'm telling you, I saw and heard a lot. So maybe it's around you. Maybe you're ignoring it, but the defensiveness for me is almost the (laughs) first admission of guilt. And it was funny because I had a, I wrote an essay for, um, for today uh, that came out a couple of weeks ago and it was about my cancer story and how I incorporated it into my MLM and someone who I'll just say was a relative of someone who was in my MLM commented on it and was like, I don't know where you got that information. Nobody in my company does this. This is all you, this was you doing it, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, your relative had me train on her platform about vulnerability. Like, so it was just, that person was not willing to see that not only was it absolutely coached, but you know, that person's relative was one who had me come train their team on it. So it's just, you're not willing to see it. If you don't see it, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that you're not willing to look and the defensiveness is like an admission of guilt. Absolutely. I think that the defensiveness is an admission of guilt and it's, it's sitting with their cognitive dissonance again, right? It's like, they've been trained. They believe they've invested thousands of dollars, years of their time into this cause, this company, this business, this idea. And then here comes an article from someone that they used to like, respect, clearly still follow in -hmm. today about Mm -hmm. very vulnerable how you used this vulnerability and you're admitting it and saying, I did this and I'm sorry. And this is why, and it's still happening in other places. And this is one of the reasons I wrote this and to get that pushback. It's like, she's seeing a fact, which is in direct correlation and opposition of what she has based the last, however long of her life. What, what do you do in that moment? Right. You either go, Oh my God, what have I been a part of? Or you say, no, not me, not mine, not me. We don't do that. That's not, I, I cannot believe you, Emily, that you would do this. This mm-hmm. is, how dare you, you yeah, know, it's and the it's othering. this pushback. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to other. Oh, that's them. It's that company. It's the, I mean, how many times do we hear that? Oh, it's different. Our company's different. It's that person. It's that product. It's that person who made the lawsuit. It really didn't, you know, make their hair fall out, whatever it is. It's never our fault. If you can leave the smallest amount of room for the possibility that maybe it might be a little bit your fault, that's that's when you can actually enact change. And that's when you can actually start to be, you know, a human and not a robot who just repeats things that their their company says, right? I think it's really hard when someone talks about something that you believe so much in even when you realize it's a lie. And I say this as someone who's been there. Once I started realizing the dream I was selling was fake. The dream I was selling was not coming true for other people. It was coming true for me because it was not coming true for other people. It was really hard to turn around and admit that I had been wrong. It's very hard. I think it's probably one of the hardest things to do. It's it's one of the first steps, admitting that you were in something that's wrong, bad, and getting out of it. And I think that's why a lot of people stay in it or they just, well, I just realized it wasn't a salesperson. I just let my membership expire or whatever, because mm-hmm. it's easier to just like look at that box of junk in the corner and just sort of tape it up and throw it in the closet and shut the door and like never look at it again. Because like, yeah. oh, it just, it just, it was just like a year of my life, no big deal. 
and to not unpack everything that's a part of it, especially when there is this, the FOMO, the manipulation, the white supremacy, the us versus them, the culty stuff, just the financial devastation. Like there's so much and there's so many other things. I've likened it to like throwing a little pebble in a pond and you really only see like the first one or two ripples, but there's still ripples. There's still people and things that are affected by what you believe to be small decisions that Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really ever talk about or unpack, which is why content like yours, the book is, is so important to, to show really all of the sides of what joining something like this really entails like if you really knew how horrible it was would you sign on the dotted line would right. you you know people go like oh it's a small business no it's not it's like a it's hundred not, and yeah. 198 billion dollar industry mlm it's like yeah it's not a small business by no. any means no and the word salad like all of that double speak that you're an entrepreneur, you're a mompreneur, and you have a small business and they malign corporations like, oh, corporate America sucks, 95 sucks. Meanwhile, you are, are an independent contractor for a huge multi-million or billion dollar corporation. Congratulations. Oh, but you have a small bit. Well, no, you don't. You don't have a small business. So how do you align that? And right off the bat, it's like, that doesn't match but you are told to say these things and you just blindly believe it because it sounds good. Right. And everyone else says it and it must be okay. I think that is the scariest thing for me looking back is how I blindly believed so many things as a very smart person, like who went to college and had an advanced degree and a master's degree. Like, and I really got sucked in to a lot of those things, repeating a lot of those things. You know, I had the company name on my license plate for God's sake. Like I was that person. I would have gotten a tattoo of the company name on my body. Had someone asked me to, right. Looking back and seeing how I got so roped in. Yeah. I mean, it's throwing that pebble in and then realizing, oh shit, I got to drain the pond. And now I've got to shovel all these pebbles out. (laughs) Like getting out is not as easy. No. And that's, that's absolutely true. Getting out is not as easy. It's really easy to get in. It's like a marriage, right? Like getting married is easy. You can go to Vegas and just like get married and be like, we got married. Like, it's great. (laughs) Getting divorced is not as easy as getting married. There's a lot of stuff. And how many people stay? How many people stay because it's harder than to leave, right? It's, it's really a good example. It is actually, we're going to use that as an example right now. Anybody who's married right now, think about it. Think about if you found out overnight that your partner was a pyramid scheme who was just (laughs) bilking you for money and damaging tons of people. And you're like, I got to get out. Could you get out today? Could you just be like, I packed up, I left and we're good. to figure it out. 
to make a plan to, well, I got to get a job. I got to save some money. I got to figure that out. I got to find a place to live. Like there are so many things that we don't think Mm -hmm. about when I get these comments, uh, when people are like, it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to leave. It's so much. And you get these comments. I'm sure you get them too. That's like, it's so like, I don't know why you're being so dramatic. It's so easy. You just cancel. Right. Well, they don't even build in the, the fact that once you join, you have a thousand uplines on your ass, right? If you even hint of like, oh, I think maybe this isn't for me. Who cares what the cancellation policy of the company? doesn't matter if it's, I think ours was a year. I think you had a year to return your you know, business kit. That didn't matter. By the time you're in, then you have your upline, like, please don't quit. Give it more time. You have everyone, all this toxic positivity. You're getting gifts at home and stuff. They don't even, that, that doesn't even account for all of that people like blowing sunshine up your ass. Right. And so to say, Oh, it's easy to cancel. Well, yeah. What about the friend who brought you in and now they might not talk to you anymore. How easy is that? That's not easy. That's a whole nother thing. The excommunication part was the hardest for me. And I think that's probably one of the most common answers at the end. When I ask what the hardest lesson is, was that those people weren't my friends, that those people didn't care about me, that I wasn't actually part of their club and their clique and their community, that it was very easily kicked out, blocked, and then lied about, like, and everybody believed it because they were made to be this enemy. And it's like, it was so hard and it's something people don't talk about. And I just, I really wish that the people that swear that it's so easy, like never have to go through half of what someone went through when they leave an MLM and how devastating it can be. Right. And even my kids who, you know, again, I went on vacations with a lot of people who I knew in the MLM and when they might ask, they'll see a picture or something and be like, oh, how come we don't go to her house anymore? We don't see her anymore. And explaining to them, well, I don't work for the same company anymore. And their faces are just like, it just shows how stupid that is. Because if I quit any other job or left any other school or whatever, you can still have a friendship, but you they're inextricably linked that again, it's that parasocial relationship that links. It's like proximity and friendship are really blurred and the company is like your, your community. And if you leave the community, you cannot be friends with people anymore. It's really odd. Yeah. Um, so I made an Instagram story and I said, Hey, I'm talking to Emily today. Does anybody have any questions? And Savvy of Savvy Writes Books, who's amazing. Oh, yes. She reached out and said, I do have a question for her. So it is really great. It, it's a kind of a lot. And there's a few questions in here, but I know you can handle it. So this is what Savvy sent. Okay. Here's my question. In Robert Fitzpatrick's Ponzi-nomics, Toward the end, he talked about how he decided to self-publish because many agents and big five publishers were looking for a message of hope, but he really wanted to portray the reality of despair caused by MLMs and their hold on the government. I'm wondering how Emily's process of pitching her book to a publisher was similar and how it was different to Robert's. I know she went with a publisher instead of self-publishing, so I'm wondering how she got the publisher on board with the anti-MLM message and if she had to compromise anything at all. And also, what advice she has for those of us publishing books with an anti-MLM angle? Such a great question. And okay, so there's lots, lots of layers here. So had I gone with a big five publisher... I would not have been able to write the book that I did. 
So when I was shopping around the book proposal, so when you have a nonfiction book, you write a book proposal. So when I was shopping around the book proposal to agents, so you query agents first who would might, might want to represent the book and sell it to a publisher. That's how traditional publishing works. The feedback I got from agents was, I love this. I would read this. I don't think I can sell it to a publisher because publishers are also very afraid of getting sued. <laughs> And many of them have published books from people who are really deep in MLM. So there's a lot of money tied up in that. So when I, I was working with a good friend and she actually has her own publishing company now, um, Kristen McGinnis, um, she was acting as my agent and she was helping set up Row House Publishing, which is a black owned, woman owned publisher, new publisher as of last year, um, and is distributed through Simon and Schuster. So all of the same distribution, you know, you can get the same, basically same number of eyeballs on your book, but I had this great publisher who is all about publishing stories about, you know, people who can't share their stories. Like they're all about sharing stories from marginalized identities. Obviously I'm a white chick, but I'm talking about something that really does impact um, lots of communities. So they really encouraged me. Uh, first of all, yes, you have to write this. And not only are we going to write what you want to write, but we're going to encourage you to write even more, <laughs> which is Honestly, I, as a white woman, was concerned about writing about white supremacy, right? Because I'm not like an expert in anti-racism or anything like that. But I think it's important for white people to talk about white supremacy when they are, you know, we're all swimming in it, right? It's a sea, we're all swimming in it, we're in it. And it's important for us to talk about it when we're complicit in harming other people. So they really pushed me to write the story deeper in the story. And when I did more research, um, I realized I had to tell it from this perspective as well. So not only was my publisher not only willing to tell the story that I wanted to tell, but they pushed me even further to tell the, the deeper polemic and you know systemic issues that go into MLMs, which I may not have done. Um, and again, had I gone with another publisher, which I may not have even been able to get a book deal because they would have been probably too afraid or they would have diluted down my message. So yeah. there's that whole like, oh, I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. Bravo to Row House. Absolutely. I follow them on Instagram. I love everything that they're putting out. I love their message. Just such an incredible publishing house. And I am so excited to follow their journey as a new publisher and to see all of the incredible things that they've got coming up because they already have a lot of really great stuff coming up, including yeah. your book. Yeah, absolutely. And then to the second part of Savvy's question, I, I think... I hope that this is something that helps other people feel less scared to share their stories. Um, I think self-publishing is incredible. And I think there's a huge untapped market of these kind of stories. I mean, we see lots of MLM people self-publishing their own how to be a boss babe books, right? And so right. why not why not balance it out with stories of why not to be a boss babe? This is my actual story of what happened. Um, I, I would love to see more stories out there, but maybe this will help other publishers feel like, okay, you know, this, this is something people want to hear about. Let's, let's talk more about this. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because we talk about things that right now are deemed pretty controversial, right? Like mm -hmm. we're going against the norm. We're talking about 
sitting in our white supremacy and going, look, you're swimming in it. Just, just look, just look, open your eyes, see how it affects you because it does. And we can ignore it and be like, I'm not like this, but we were raised that way. And it's just sort of like their natural, like inherent bias and like microaggressions that we have to break through. I think it's just so important. And by connecting those things in your book, the way that you did, I think it really creates a non-threatening education to be like, oh my gosh, I did do that. I didn't realize that that's rooted in white supremacy. Oh my gosh, I know better now because we just need to be better than who we are the day before, right? We just want to always be better. And I absolutely love that you are creating a message as a white woman that has so much intersectionality with other things that it opens up this conversation for people who are scared to have it in a a non-confrontational way. Right. And I think also, if you read this and you're like, well, I still like selling these products. I still like being in the MLM. It's fun for me. Like, I'm not telling you what to do, but there's going to be something that you read that maybe you'll think, Ooh, gosh, I did get asked to share my story last year about how my mom died and that didn't feel good. So next time something like that happens, I'm not going to do that. Or yeah, I did reach out to a friend who just had a baby and just, you know, just, it just sharing the stories in a way that it's not black and white and everyone's going to have their different path, but maybe you can just step back a little bit and, and reevaluate how you're participating in this entire culture that I believe is harmful. And how do we make it less harmful if you still want to participate in it? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, I personally don't, support MLMs, but Mm -hmm. I know there are a lot of people on the show that are in them or Mm -hmm. have to support them for various reasons. And again, like that's my privilege showing to be like, well, I just quit. Not everybody can quit. Like we have to realize that too. And not everybody's a hundred percent anti-MLM right out the gate. Sometimes it takes people 20 years to figure it out. And we have Mm -hmm. to make space for people to be humans. Mm -hmm. We're humans. We make mistakes. It's literally what we do. We error. And that's that's how you become a better person. Um, nobody is in, infallible. You are infallible. That is what it is. You, you make mistakes and you learn to be better. And again, I, I think there are going to be a lot of people that read your book and might feel that uncomfortableness, that cognitive dissonance where they're like, oh my gosh, I did this. She's talking about me. She's talking to me. I'm so, I'm relating to this so well. And that's intentional we want you to sit in that, right? Like I, you got to sit in that and unpack that. We got to unpack that. (laughs) All of us, especially white ladies that think we know better because we don't, we really don't. Mm -mm. We definitely don't. (laughs) If anything I've learned in my life is that I don't know better than anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Well, me allowing myself to not be right has been what has helped me through every challenge I've had, you know, sobriety, you know, getting out of my MLM, you know, a a fight with my husband, like any little thing where I leave just the minute possibility. What if I'm not a hundred percent, right? And it's not, that's not admitting you're wrong. That's it's not, it's just saying what else could be true here? What else could be more true? What could be less true? What am I right about? What am I wrong about? You can't learn if you assume everything, you know, is a hundred percent accurate. Right. There's so much nuance in life and we're getting away from black and white thinking because that's cultic. 
It's not so culty. yes or no, left or right, up or down, red or blue. It's not like that. And no. if you live like that, that those these are the things that we're talking about is living in the nuance, stepping out, getting into the gray, realizing that not everything is just one thing. And I, I when you're talking about that, like having the different nuances of experiences, it made mm. me think of Inside Out. You know, everything was like, it, that's a joy experience or that's an anger experience. And then spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, at the end, you realize that some of these emotions are joy and anger, that they can mm -hmm. coexist together. And it's that sort of thing. There's not just one answer in this nuance of trying to figure things out and unpack things and unlearn things and be better. And some things could be right and wrong at the same time. You're just, yeah, yeah you have to, to really be open to, I guess, questioning things. <laughs> That's what we talk about here, like questioning yeah. things. Critical thinking. It's a skill that we all need to work on all the time. I mean, every day I have to remind myself of the same things I remind myself of. I'm, I'm not a perfect person either. And I will continue to do things that piss people off or whatever. Like we're all going to do that, right? We're all going to make mistakes. It's what do you do after? Like what, what do you change to better protect yourself to not do those things in the future? Right? Absolutely. I am so excited. So for everybody who is just enjoying this conversation and wants to continue it by reading your book, it is really good. You guys, you have to read it. Tell us where we can find your book, how we can pre-order, and also remind people why it's so important to pre-order books. Yes. Thank you. So pre-orders are so important. And you know, what's funny is someone reached out to me the other day who was, who was reading the book. And she's like, now I understand why you hate selling shit. Cause she's always on me about why don't you post about your programs more? Why don't you post about your book more? And I'm like, see, because when you're in an MLM, like selling them becomes hard and cringy. So I, this is my least favorite part of book publishing is like marketing myself and telling people go buy my book. But the first thing is authors put a ton of work in, I mean, years, years, research, hours, time, blood, sweat, and tears go into writing a book. And it's something you can get for between five and $30. Like it's a very inexpensive thing that you can get for yourself. And the support is huge. So pre-orders are important because they show the bookseller, whoever it is, you know, whether it's Amazon, bookshop, local booksellers, they show them that, oh, this book is in high demand. We're going to place a bigger order for it. And they feature it more. They put it in like the new and notable section. And that's what gets you put on bestseller lists, which then leads to the success of the book. Like pre-orders are, are the most important part of a success in a book. And so always, if you have an author that you love, if you have a book that you're excited to come out, like buy it and it will show up literally on launch day. It's like buying yourself a, a future present. So you can pre-order it literally anywhere your local bookstore can get it. Um, always support local. I always appreciate people supporting local. Of course, you can get it on all the big retailers too, but literally anywhere you prefer to buy your books, it is there and pre-order it. And I would appreciate it and love you forever. <laughs> and what day does it launch? May 30th. It will arrive in your mailbox. I am just so proud of you, Emily. And oh, I'm just, you. I'm just so I just, I just love that we have become friends and you're just such an inspiration. Oh, well, feelings mutual. I appreciate it. All right. So everybody make sure you get her book, you pre-order it and you read it because I'm assuming this book's going to come up a lot this year because it's, you know, it's, it's going to come up a lot this year. You guys go get it. Thank you so much, Emily. You are wonderful.
Thanks, Roberta. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. <laughs>